0: You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating, Episode 13 with Allie Landry, or as you might know her, the owner of Make Life Peachy. Allie is a non-diet dietitian, and she's the owner of her virtual private practice, which is where the Make Life Peachy comes in. As you'll see from our conversation, her mission is to help women stop obsessing over food, become confident in their skin, and make healthy eating easy so they can stop dieting and start living their dream life. Ali will also talk about the idea that a healthy lifestyle doesn't have to be restrictive or complicated. I love her can-do attitude and positivity. And she's so sweet and extremely passionate about helping women find freedom in food, their body image, and life. All right, let's get started. So Allie, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to get started.
1: I am so excited. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So you're a registered dietitian and so many registered dietitians kind of start out as like a diet dietitian and you're totally not that kind of dietitian. So I'm curious, have you ever been like a diet person or have you ever always, have you always been more of like a intuitive eating anti-diet person?
1: Yeah. So luckily I have never been a dieting dietitian or pro weight loss dietitian but I do have a history of being in diet culture. I think, you know, in high school, I tried different diets. I was very into health and fitness and dieting is normalized as what you do to be healthy. And so that's what I kind of deep dive into is different diets. And in college is when I actually got into calorie and macro tracking. And when it really did start to become a little more disordered, a little more severe, but again, it's what is normalized and even praised in our society. And so I didn't really see a problem with it. And then, you know, going into the education to become a dietitian, I think that that is very much also in diet culture. I remember... Mm -hmm calculating my BMI in class and measuring the skin fold thickness on myself and other students on our arms and on our sides and calorie counting for whole weeks. Yeah. For projects. That's part of the education. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that's how it is at every college, but that's how it was where I went. And it was, it was just normalized. It was a very big focus on weight and calories and weight loss. And so that's what I was taught, And I didn't ever really question it for a while,
0: so for you, this is actually or for anybody in your shoes, it's a pretty big deal not to be a weight loss dietitian because for the most part, that's how you're trained. And so this is like a a big shift,
1: yes. yeah. And you know, now I think intuitive eating is becoming bigger, and more people are hearing about it, and a lot mm-hmm. more students are hearing about it. And so I get reached out to by a lot of students, like, Hey, how did you find this? How did you become intuitive eating? Like I am in school to become a dietitian, but it's so focused on weight loss and it's a lot of things I don't agree with. And so I think Mm -hmm. there's a shift happening. It's just going to take time. But you know, I first heard about intuitive eating from dietitian Deanna. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram Mm -hmm. or anything, but she's awesome. And I was tracking macros and calories in college and I saw her announced that she was going to start intuitively eating. And I honestly thought it was another diet. I had never heard of it before. I'm like, Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Like I want to follow along and see what she, what she does. And I watched her stop tracking and find food freedom and feel free around food. And I was like, man, maybe, maybe I should try that too. Maybe I could eat without tracking because at the time I really couldn't eat without tracking. It was, it was Mm -hmm. just anxiety provoking to not know the macros of something. And, and again, that was praise that I was always tracking instead Mm -hmm. of realizing, Hey, it's kind of not normal. It's a little disordered to like have to track everything you eat and know the calories and macros of everything. And so actually dietitian Deanna was the first person I saw talk about intuitive eating. Then I did some research and I started to make my own shift as well.
0: Yeah. And it's also so interesting because now people are incorporating intuitive eating into diets. And so, you know, things like Noom, they're like, oh, let's do intuitive eating, but that's just another diet disguised as intuitive eating. So we're not talking about that. (laughs) Yes.
1: I actually, I was going to say, I have a post coming out today about Noom and how they use advertising with like intuitive eating and not a diet. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I've, I have clients who have done new in the past and they told me it's basically glorified my fitness pal of Mm -hmm. low calorie labeling foods as red, green, yellow, and just a focus on weight loss is dieting. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, similar to your journey as a registered dietitian and moving toward intuitive eating, your personal story is so pivotal to your professional journey. And I know that you talk a bit about your mom. I wonder if you can share just a little bit more and how that kind of plays into your story.
1: Yes. So as I mentioned before, in high school, I was very into health and fitness and wanted. I was into science. I liked learning about nutrition and dieting just came along with that. That was what was normal. And I actually didn't know that dietitians existed until my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And that's how I met my first dietitian was my mom's. And I thought she was the coolest person ever. (laughs) I thought she was so smart. (laughs) so sweet. I absolutely loved her. And I went and changed my major to become a dietitian the next week. At the time I was also really obsessed with health and food. And so, you know, why would I not be becoming a dietitian? And so there was a little bit of a different intention back then, but yeah, through my mom's journey is how I started my journey to becoming a dietitian. But yeah, that was my first time meeting a dietitian.
0: Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm assuming the whole journey was like really difficult and sure. There's, there's light through that. And this is how you got to your path, you know, but eventually you, like she did pass away. And I'm I'm curious if you can just share like a little bit of that, whatever you're comfortable. And then we can kind of talk about it more on a general level.
1: Yes. So my mom did pass away. It was six weeks later. So it was incredibly wow. abrupt. Yeah. yeah. Um, so She passed away in 2015 to gastric cancer and talking about grieving, I think that the process is ongoing. And it is something that I am still learning how to process and still learning how to navigate. And grief really does look different for everyone. But something that I want to emphasize through that journey is that emotional eating is normal. It is very, very normal. Food is something that is comforting and it's fun and it's emotional. And it's something that we use to celebrate like wedding cake at a wedding. And ice cream is something that we have on dates and it's also something that we have, you know, after a breakup with our friends and that food is part of that grieving process. And that's not something to feel ashamed of or like it's bad. Emotional eating when it comes with, along with like grief and loss is something that a lot of people ask me about and feel really ashamed about. And actually food is a very safe coping mechanism. It's a safe coping Mm -hmm. tool. There's, you know, a lot worse things we can turn to other than food. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's safe and it's fine. And I think that the guilt and shame and maybe in, even sometimes when we're emotionally eating mindlessly, the feelings that come along mm. with that of guilt, maybe feeling gross, feeling like we're not that wasn't good of us to do, it can really make our feelings feel even worse. And that is where emotional eating can kind of cause some issues. And it's really our mindset around emotional eating and maybe some mindlessness. And also when it's our only coping tool. And so when it comes to emotional eating on a generalized level, whether you're going through loss or grief or other feelings, just stress, loneliness, boredom, Mm -hmm. what I would emphasize is food can be a coping tool. We don't want it to be our only coping tool, and we also want to make it a mindful experience that actually helps our feelings rather than makes it feel worse. So for example, you know, if you're feeling, if you just went through a loss or you're feeling lonely and you decide, you know, I'm going to go eat some ice cream and you grab a gallon of ice cream, go to the couch and eat a gallon of ice cream. Now you're feeling probably gross. You might be feeling bad. You might be feeling guilty. You might feel ashamed. And that is not helping what you're already going through. It's making a lot of feelings worse. And it's like digging yourself in a hole. Using food as a coping tool is not bad, but we don't want it to make these feelings worse. So if you are going through any type of emotion and you know yourself to be an emotional eater and you go to reach for food, some steps that you can take is just some self-awareness. So first pausing, hey, why am I in the pantry? Why am I looking in the fridge? What's going on? Am I physically hungry? Is there an emotion I'm feeling? If so, what am I feeling? Once you realize why you're eating, then can you ask yourself, is there anything that I could do instead? Is there another coping tool I need right now? If I'm feeling lonely, maybe I can call a friend. If I'm feeling stressed, maybe I can go for a walk outside. And you can still have the ice cream, but what if you call it a friend and then you're still feeling sad, so you want to have the ice cream, go for it put it in a bowl, maybe put some fun toppings on it. Maybe you pour yourself a bath, put on your favorite movie and actually taste the food mindfully and allow it to help and comfort you and make you feel better, which is like the point of emotional eating is it can be comforting. And so allowing these foods to help and doing so without guilt is something I like to emphasize when it comes to emotional eating grief loss.
0: Right. And that's also more of like an ideal. So if somebody is going through a hard time, it doesn't really matter what it is to be mindful is obviously something we're aiming for, but we can't really expect people to be so mindful when they're going through a really stressful time. And so, you know, these are things that we hope you can work toward, but of course it's not like we're, you know, it's, it's not, it's so much easier to say it than to do it. So just putting that out there.
1: Yes. And something I want to emphasize, you know, thinking back to when I was going navigating grief at the beginning of losing my mom mindful eating was not on the forefront of my mind. It was not the most important thing at the time. It was really just, you know, surviving and getting by and that is normal Mm -hmm. and that is totally fine. And at that point, I think grace and compassion and really meeting your needs is incredibly important. And so, you know, on the flip side, if someone, you know, I am the type who emotionally eats. Someone is the type where they lose their appetite, and you might experience both. I think there are times where I experience both, but if you're the person who loses their appetite, something I want to emphasize for you is that your body still does need energy. Whether you Mm -hmm. are feeling an appetite or not, you're still alive, you're still breathing, your body is still, your metabolism is going, it still needs energy, and so we, we still have to feed it, whether that is smaller amounts, more frequently throughout the day, maybe just getting down some fruit, getting down a smoothie, getting down something that's easy to digest, You know, it's still important to eat even if you don't feel that appetite and you may need to set alarms, but aiming for at least three meals a day, even if you don't have an appetite.
0: Yeah. I think there, there's some really good information over there. I want to pivot just a little bit more to like the crux of your work is mm-hmm. focusing on intuitive eating. And I know that you break it down into four steps. And I was wondering if you could just like talk a little bit more about that to provide like more information and going through each of the steps.
1: Yes. So we talked a little bit before about intuitive eating is being based on 10 principles, but my process is based on four steps. And so something that I want to emphasize is there is no correct order, there's no specific steps that you must take to become an intuitive eater. Everyone's journey looks differently. And so, you know, the 10 principles include things like ditching diets, honoring your hunger, challenging your inner food police and outer food police, gentle nutrition, and, you know, there's no order, but there is a generalized path that people take. And so I do actually cover all 10 principles within my one-on-one coaching program. And again, it looks different for everyone. My goal is to meet people where they're at and take their next baby step. And everyone's next baby step might be a little bit different depending on where they're at. So there really is no perfect order. And I do, I did create these four steps to really break down what I cover in my coaching program and the general order of what it looks like. But actually, it really does look different for everybody. So my four steps are ditching diets. Number one, number two is food freedom. Number three is gentle nutrition. And number four is going to be body love no specific journey or exact steps that everybody follows but in general the first step is going to be ditching that diet mindset so really deep diving into why diets don't work maybe their history with dieting and the harms it's caused and learning how to let go of restriction and that diet mentality this is really uncomfortable and it's scary but it's really worth it because it really is the first step towards food freedom we have to let go of the dieting mindset so then step two would be food freedom this is going to encompass multiple of the principles of intuitive eating. So challenging the food place, discovering satisfaction, learning how to honor your hunger, learning your hungerfulness cues, making peace with food. This is going to cover a lot of that. And really we're just starting to work on feeling free around food. Once we understand that diets don't work and we are feeling free around food, we can start to incorporate gentle nutrition. So you have permission to eat all foods and with permission comes choice and we want to feel good generally. And so we can now approach nutrition from not a place of strict all or nothing dieting, but actually a place of gentleness and flexibility and learning how to eat in a way that feels really good and does nourish your body without strict diet rules. So one is stitching diets, two is food freedom, three is gentle nutrition. The fourth step is actually something that we work on throughout my client's time working with me. It's not like the last thing we cover. It's something we work on throughout, but it's body love or really body respect. And so again, that's going to encompass multiple of the intuitive eating principles, really focusing on body image, body acceptance, improving your body thoughts, your self-talk, and also incorporating movement from a place of body respect. So what feels good? What do you enjoy? How can we make this sustainable? And just like we do with food, replacing the I shoulds with I can, I may, and what do I want? How do I want to feel? And so I do cover the 10 principles of intuitive eating through these four steps and the journey just looks different for everyone.
0: Sure. I'm curious how you work with clients to kind of balance the idea of ditching diets and food freedom with the gentle nutrition, because it it (laughs) sometimes feels so, so sticky.
1: Yeah. So it's, it can feel really confusing for people, but I think it's because it's so normalized in our society that healthy means weight loss. Healthy means restriction. And so what I work on with my clients, it's it's a lot of mindset work of reframing. Why do we think that healthy means restricting foods? What if healthy meant focusing on what to add and removing the good and bad labels? And also, you know, another reframe I work on with clients is, you know, they're good and bad foods, what if it's unhealthy to think of foods as bad? So when we start labeling foods as bad or off limits, we actually start to think about them more and want them more. And then maybe we binge on them, and then that builds, you know, that creates a lack of self-trust. And then we go through the cycle of binge restriction. And so what if dieting and restriction is actually unhealthy, right? And so then that little mindset reframing is, okay, so if we ditch diets, how are how are all foods allowing all foods healthy? Well, when we allow all foods, we actually feel more in control around these foods. And then when you feel in control, you have permission to eat all foods, we can focus on nutrition from that place of gentleness and flexibility rather than feeling like you have to should restricting and you're ditching that whole restriction binge cycle at the same time. So it actually is a healthy process. I know a lot of people feel like eating whatever you want can't be healthy, but that's often because they might be in a dieting mindset where they feel out of control around all foods. But thinking back to, you know, like maybe when you were a toddler and you felt in control around cookies, if you had permission to eat cookies, you permission means choice and you're actually going to end up eating what you actually want. And we can focus on nutrition without restriction. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think what you're saying is the point is that when our body learns to trust us, then it'll send us cues about what it wants and needs. And so we're not going to crave ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's just not going to happen. Our body's not going to want and, that.
1: You know, I've I've had a lot of people challenge me with that exact question. They're like, okay, eating whatever you want is healthy, air quotes. Mm-hmm. You know, what if I had chocolate cake for breakfast? And my response to that is, okay, please do. Go have chocolate cake for breakfast. And then a lot of them look at me like, well, I don't want chocolate cake for breakfast. And I'm like... <laughs> Exactly. That's pretty intuitive. We don't want we don't want chocolate cake for breakfast. And if I'm being honest, I there's been many times that I've had chocolate cake for breakfast, specifically after birthdays. I don't know about anyone else's family, but my family loves leftover cake for breakfast, mm-hmm. and that's Same. fun, and that's okay, and like there's nothing wrong with that. Sure, I might not feel my absolute best, most energized, but I'm probably going to have some cake and then have you know a brunch a little bit later on, and I'm going to be perfectly
0: fine. Exactly. And also part of the point is that, you know, your body's going to feel different after you have the birthday cake for breakfast. And so if that's Mm -hmm. not something that your body appreciates, then maybe you'll add something or take something away for the next time to make sure that you do feel better. Or if it's a, it's not happening every day, then it's fine not to feel your absolute best. You know, sometimes it's much more important to make memories and, be connected than it is for your body to feel like at its optimal every second of the day.
1: Yeah. You know, we're not robots. And I think that's <laughs> another misconception about intuitive eating is eating whatever you want without a care about your health or how you feel. And actually, you know, there is a huge emphasis on how do you want to feel and health and gentle nutrition. And so, you know, I think it's just a misconception. And when they hear eating whenever you want, think that's not possible or that can't possibly be healthy but there's a lot of asterisks to that there's a lot of points they are missing if you think intuitive eating is just eating whatever you want whenever you want like it is and also thinking about how you want to feel and incorporating gentle nutrition too Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and a little bit more of an emphasis that diet culture hasn't actually been healthy and so if we completely redefine what health means then we're not even having this conversation because it's it's an intuitive process. Our body naturally will want to eat this way
1: exactly. which actually that's an activity I do with a lot of my clients is you know when they might feel stuck on weight loss or feel stuck on dieting, it's just simply redefining health and not just redefining health in the way of like physical health, but also, Mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, social health—what does that look like for you? And authentically, what does authentic health look like? Not the health that you've been taught by society and you know our culture of restriction and weight loss is healthy, but what does healthy actually mean to you authentically? And so, redefining health completely changes the story.
0: Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's different for each person, and so Mm -hmm. each person has to ask themselves this question, regardless of what the next person says. You know. Health is going to mean something specific to them. In terms of your your last step, this is the body love piece. This I find, I don't know about you, but this is the hardest one for people because they can kind of change the way that they eat. They change their relationship with food, which is is almost habitual. If they work hard enough, uh, work persistently, then they can change that. But this body respect piece is kind of like the last lingering piece that's so, so hard for people. And that together in our current society of like social media and perfect images and Photoshopping and all this stuff. I guess I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the process of working toward body respect, especially with all of this stuff around us.
1: Yeah. So that is has to be one of the hardest parts of this journey is working towards a healthy body image and body acceptance and body respect. And rightfully so it's hard stuff. And we're surrounded by opposite messages of what we're talking about in sessions all the time, walking through the grocery store, there's magazines, how to lose weight quickly. We've just been bombarded with messages that are Basically focusing on weight and weight loss and putting your worth in your looks. And so a lot of mindset reframes, a lot of challenging, being aware of these body image thoughts and challenging them, and also really deep diving into where did these thoughts and beliefs come from? Who told you this? Where did you pick this up from? And how has it been reinforced throughout your life? And that takes time. That is a really hard journey. And it takes a lot of patience and grace. And it's a lot of unlearning and learning new beliefs and picking up new beliefs. It just, it takes a lot of time. And I think it's really valid and fair that it's a really hard, hard process. And then, you know, depending on what they're specifically struggling with, we just kind of look on what are the fears beneath this? If you're fearing weight gain, why? What what is underneath that? Fear. If you're feeling not enough, like what is underneath that? So, really, really, it is a deep dig, a deep dive into their past and these beliefs that they may have picked up when they were probably a lot younger and starting to recognize that those aren't true and it's not something they have to carry anymore and how to replace those. Another question, specifically thinking about body image and maybe if someone's just struggling with dieting and weight loss and food and body thoughts constantly, another question I ask my clients is if you were 90 years old, looking back on your life, what do you wish you did more of? What do you wish you did less of? And if you could go back to your current age, what would you do differently? And a lot of the times the answers is, you know, I wish I would think less about this. I wish I would care less about this. And I'd focus more on just living and enjoying life and not holding myself back. And so using little reframes like that can be really helpful when it comes to body image, especially when we're surrounded by opposite messages that tell us, Our body, our weight is the most important thing when in reality, you know, at your funeral, no one's going to be talking about, oh, we loved her because she weighed this much and had six pack abs. What really (laughs) matters in life is the impact you have and how you make people feel. And, you know, we don't want to spend 80% of our time and thoughts on something that actually doesn't matter in the end.
0: Yeah, I love that reframe and the question of like looking back on your life because it forces you to think about values in a very different way. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of reframing to value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while we're on this topic of like, you know, it's it's really hard for anybody to do this. It's kind of swimming upstream. And then we have all the societal messages coming at us. So we're fighting people outside, and you and I are on the same page, but we're kind of in the minority still. And so how do you navigate Or even encourage your clients to navigate this world that it feels like we're swimming upstream, whether it's social media or just even among people who don't really have an understanding this way, who, you know, try to grab every and all opportunity to be like all on you because they're weight loss people. And what do you mean? And have all these questions. And sometimes people are really mean and sometimes people are just challenging. So just kind of getting some of your thoughts about that.
1: So it it really depends on the situation. If you know a client is being challenged by someone else on maybe they're going through a weight loss journey, maybe their friend is you know on a new weight loss journey, and they are working with me on you know challenging that and for themselves we don't actually have to promote intuitive eating or food freedom to everyone. And not everyone is ready to hear that. And maybe it's not for everyone. And that's totally fine. I always tell my clients, you are not the food freedom advocate. That's my job. That's not your job. (laughs) And so you, you actually don't have to challenge everyone. If a client has a friend who's on their own weight loss journey and it starts to make the friend feel insecure, or maybe they want to promote food freedom to their friend. I always encourage them that, Hey, you're not a food freedom advocate and not everyone is ready for, this message and it might not be right for everyone. And that's totally fine. Something that we can do for others who are either hateful or still stuck in diet culture, not understanding what you're going through and what you're working towards is have a lot of compassion for them because we have all been there where we've been in diet culture and not understood from the inside looking out. But now we're on the outside looking into diet culture and realize how wrong it is and how much harm it actually does cause. And not everyone is ready to get out of that just yet. And that's okay. And it's not our job to get them out of there, but our job is to focus on our journey and stay grounded and focused on what is going to be best for you and what aligns with your values and your new definition of health. And so having compassion for anyone who may not understand, knowing that you don't have to prove anything to anyone else helpful because you're right we're surrounded by other people on weight loss journeys or other weight loss ads or even hateful people
0: yeah and that's such good advice even not specific to this topic is anything in social media or people who are really, really opinionated is it's so easy to get so angry and fired up about it. And then really the only person that that hurts is us. And so taking a step back and and kind of allowing ourselves to take a deep breath and calm down and say, I'm not gonna change this person's mind. It's not my life's mission to change this person's mind. And you know, that's okay. They're on their own journey. I don't have to engage. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You don't have to engage. It's not your job. It's my job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I think that just because we're coming up on time before I let you go, I wanted to ask you where our listeners can find you.
1: Yes. So they can find me on Instagram at make like peachy with underscores between make and life and life and peachy. Um, they can also find me on TikTok. It's the same eight at Make Life Peachy. I have a Twitter. I'm not that engaged, but I do tweet. And also my website is
0: makelifepeachy.com. Yeah. And Ali has so much more information on all of these platforms. So if anybody's looking to learn more about her specific program or just more of her advocacy and information, you can definitely go there and there's a ton there. Yeah. Um, thank you. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right. Talk next time.